Heading into lockdown, Chris Strain had co-winning Rangers flying high at the top of the West Premiership. Coming out of it though, they'd watched Ocken Lech Talbot hand in the title. The Buffs, missing out on winning the league despite their lead, was just one of the many bizarre stories to come out of the coronavirus crisis. But Chris is back again and ready to do it once more. Before last year, he guided the Buffs to two successive promotions. He's only 40, he's already had six years in the dugout. He's also grown up around a dad who made his name as a boss. We'll hear his views on missing out on that silverware last year and speak to him about how he's gone about his business since becoming a manager. We'll also talk to him about the day he was told he was being sacked by text after one of those promotions, only to be reinstated just days later. Plus, there's the player Chris managed who scored on the opening weekend of the Scottish Premier season. It's all here on Down the Division. Thanks for joining us for another 60 minutes or so looking at the lower leagues. Paul, you've been back training now what, for two or three weeks at New Mains. How's, how's that been going? It's been brilliant. It's good to get back. Obviously, we're having to do small numbers. Uh, but even last night, we've even brought in sports scientists at New, New Mains. It was brilliant just getting the boys in, doing fitness tests and stuff like that. Good camaraderie and uh, some interesting results for the boys at training this week after last night. What was your body fat level like? Huge man. <laughs> Could do with a bit of work, no? I'd understand in long jump. Jumped right. over two jumped over two metres, put a couple on the shame, but uh, that was about it. And uh, some re signing news as well? Yeah, we re signed Mikey Barton. Uh, Mikey's been our joint top goal scorer for midfield for the last two seasons. Fantastic. It's, I, I didn't know if we were going to get him across the line, a few teams sniffing about him, but uh, he put pen to paper last night and uh, we're delighted to get him on board again. Good stuff. Well, if you've got any comments on the show tonight, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. My name is Brian Ferguson manager of Linlithgow Rose, and you are listening to Down the Divisions. Killwinning Rangers boss Chris Strain is our guest this week. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Good evening, guys. Thanks very much for having me. We'll, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do that, we've got the good old Down the Divisions decider first. As ever, one of us gives four clues for a particular year. Davis missed out on a chance to move clear last week. It's still two each, and now you've got the clues, Paul, so over to you. So Chelsea beat Everton 2-1 to win the FA Cup. Slumdog Millionaire won the best picture at the Oscars. Ryan Giggs wins BBC Sports Personality of the Year. And Airdrie beat Ross County 3-2 on penalties to win the Scottish Challenge Cup. What do you reckon, Chris? I know. That's Chris, he's saying, what do you think, Chris? Because he wants you to go first. Well, get a the, first, the first clue you gave was... Chelsea beat Everton in the FA Cup final and I was actually my mate Stag do because I remember watching it in the Three Sisters oh, in Edinburgh. Scorching, scorching hot day and I'm trying to think when he got married he's one of my best mates and I can't remember. It's around nine years ago let's just say eight or nine That's years great. ago. I was thinking 2012 I must have been. It's 2011, 2012 I'll leave you to go Gareth I don't want to put too much pressure on you. You know, now you put doubt in my mind Chris. <laughs> I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to 2011 probably 2012 now you've said that well no pressure now Chris 
answers will be revealed at the end. I'm Chris Ewing, owner of the Caledonian Braves. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Show winning Rangers manager Chris Strain is with us this week. Chris, uh, I mentioned at the start there about the bizarre ending to your season. And we heard kind of some of your comments at the time about what you thought about Ockenleck being given the title with nine games in hand, despite being so many points behind it. I mean, looking back now, how do you feel about it now with a bit of time to reflect and a bit of hindsight? You know, at the time, again, I think some of your comments can get misconstrued. Ockenleck are a formidable team. I said that at the time, and, and the likelihood is they probably went on and won the league. But we don't know that, and with such a big proportion of the league to go, I think that my gripe was with the management committee and how they came about that decision. Um, not with Auchinleck in any way, shape or form. The, the, again, subsequently there's been an investigation into it. Um, again, the investigation found out that the decision that they came to, they were quite, it was quite a, a plausible decision to come to. But again, the method in which they came to that decision... Um, if you look at all the member clubs that were asked to comment on the investigation, everybody said the best thing to do would be to null and void the league. And and I think that's what we've done. If Auchinleck if were six points ahead of us, maybe with the same games played or something like that, you could turn in and say fair game. But there was so such an unknown quantity to the rest of the season there that I felt it was unfair to award them it. But I'm in one camp, they're in another. And, and to be honest, it's, it's well put to bed as far as I'm concerned. That is put to bed, and I understand that, but do you know what? In our league, in our division, you know, Johnson Borough won it with 14 games. They only played 14 games. Vela leaving they played something like, I can't remember what the figure was, 25 games or something. They only had a few games to go. Johnson Borough still had to go and win 14 games. So, likewise, Auckland still had to go and, and win those games. Do you know what I mean? Did they have to play you in between that? No, they played us. They drew us at our place and they beat us comprehensively at their place. Um, they, they had some difficult games to play the way the season had been. We had played all the teams in the top uh, four or five places in the league. They still had difficult away games to go to. But again, it's all ifs and buts and maybe. The thing that struck me was we were finishing the league campaign. We were finishing the 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 juniors as it once was. Um, I don't think there was any need to cause the consternation that was caused. I think the best thing would have been to do to everybody shake hands and say, do you know what, great, fine, good season. This anomaly with the Scottish Cup position, obviously somebody had to be put into the Scottish Cup. As it turns out, subsequently with um, COVID, that's been taken away for Auchinleck, but through no doing of their own. But um, it, it just seems to me they could have avoided this, the, the flack that they got by um, coming to what would be, in my opinion, a common sense decision. The fact that you didn't win the league doesn't take away the fact that you obviously had a great season last season and one of the latest good seasons for winning have had since you've gone there. What, what, did, what have you put your sort of success down to? I mean, I mentioned you've had two successive promotions. You've taken this club places, haven't you? What, what's been the kind of... Because I, I guess when, when you go in there first, thing, you're, you're learning on the job a little bit. When you yeah. When we took over, it's now seven years ago. It was seven years in February, actually, which I, I, I find astonishing um, that it's that, that, that quickly. But when we went in at first, the club was in the, bit of dol- in the doldrums a bit. Um, the crowds were low. But I had played with the club in its Halcon days, and I thought, do you know what? 
all this club needs is a bit of momentum, turn the ship round, get it going in the right direction. And the, the first six months there, we were in a relegation battle. And we managed to stay up, but a registration offence caused us to get relegated. One of the boys who played in America, a um, boy called Robbie Weir, had played in America, and when he came back, he played something like 10 games for us, but he hadn't had his international clearance. So we had deducted the 19 points that we gained in the games that he played, and that's that subsequently meant we were relegated. So, in a perverse way, the relegation helped us. It allowed us to clear the decks. It allowed us to start again. It allowed us to get a fresh impetus. And we went, played really well the season we got, uh, and it, it was the district league, which is the bottom league we were in. We did really well. We got promoted along with Winton Rovers. Um, and we got to the final of the West that year, which for a, for a club in our um, division was a brilliant feat. And the momentum kicked on for there. We added two or three players. We got promotion the next year and got to the semi-final of the West. And as you mentioned at the uh, start of the show, that's what led to myself being sacked um, that season. And there was a bit of turmoil over the closed season. We had a difficult campaign the season after. We managed to stay up via the playoffs, which was massive for the club because we would have lost that momentum we had had we, you know, get back-to-back promotions and then drop back down again. So we managed to consolidate our position. The following year, we finished fourth in a two-horse race. How we managed that, I'll never know, but um, we did. We were, we were clear, I think, with five games to go. And we, Adam Strain, our goalkeeper at the time, uh, dislocated his finger. And we only picked up two points in the five remaining games. And Beath won the, game, the league in the last day of the season. Mocking um, let drew up at Cumnock and Beath won the league. So we were very disappointed that season. And we thought, you know what, we've got a nucleus, a good side there. I had one or two experienced boys, good players. And we kind of added at that time um, players who were well-known, um, players who had a reputation. And when they came in, there was a bit of an imbalance. And, and as a manager who had probably worked his way with having, what I would say, a shoestring budget to having a bit of money to spend, we didn't spend it wisely enough. Um, the recruitment wasn't good enough. I thought it was at the time when you sit down and you look at your team on paper I thought wow we've got a team to be reckoned with here but the balance wasn't right we maybe had too many people who wanted to be the star man and no enough legs in the team no enough workers and we had a pretty poor season we finished mid-table and we then had the upheaval of moving ground um, so we had to really again our wings were clipped in terms of budget because a lot of the money was used to move the club um, change the infrastructure, you know, invest in the new facilities that we've got. And we had to clear the decks again, so we got rid of some of the high earners, brought in guys who were willing to come in young, hungry, and we had a good season last year. So, again, looking at it just now, we've had a good close season. I think we've recruited well in the close season, maybe one to come. We probably fell short last season just on the, the size of the squad because of that budget. Um, I remember just talking about that Oakenlet game that we had there that we talked about. We went up to Oakenlet midwinter with two subs and two young boys. They brought on Jamie Glasgow, Mark Shankland, Brian Boylan, who was their top striker the season before. And, you know, you felt you were fighting them with a water pistol a wee bit and they had a, a super soaker. So, <laughs> from my point of view, it was about adding numbers. We still have good, good quality, but it's about adding numbers to help the guys out when we do come across injuries and suspensions and stuff. 
Can you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, Chris, and, and your background? You obviously started off as a youth player at Kilmarnock and then the seniors, and how you actually progressed into the management role. Yeah, um, I played with Kilmarnock, as I say, full-time, and then my only one regret with, with moving clubs was that I, I had a chance to go to Ross County full-time, um, and, and what I did was, at that point in time, I, I chose to go part-time with Queen of the South, um, and again... A wee bit of a mammy's boy in me in that respect. That um, I didn't want to move away from home. I was 19 at the time, and Queen of the South. I could still travel. It was part time, and I thought I could get into the team quicker. Um, I should probably have stayed full time at that point. But anyway, the Queen of the South move didn't work out as well as I intended, and I went back and played with Ardeer for six months. Um, I, I left there in February and played with Ardeer. I really enjoyed my time at Ardeer. It was just my dad was actually there, and that's the only reason I went there. I played under my dad there for the first time. Um, and I had a really good six months and then I moved to Irvine Meadow Irvine Meadow moved to uh, Cowinan and I had two really great years at Cowinan um, enjoyed my time it was probably my happiest time in, in, in football and as, as I'll probably come on to later that's part of the reason why I went back as a manager because the club was a good club to play for anybody that ever plays for Cowinan Rangers always kind of speaks highly of the club and, and highly of the, the, the setup. so um I, I moved to Troon after the med, but I had a falling out with Mark Shank, something that when I look back on now as a manager, I think Mark could have dealt with it differently, certainly I could have dealt with it differently, I was a bit too immature, but I was going through a really tough time personally, my mum had just passed away at the time, and I didn't react as well as probably I should have, and um, I was just married, a lot of things were changing in my life, and um, it, it just wasn't a good time for me, so I, again, I went back and played with my dad, my dad was a Troon manager at the time, just somewhere where you know you can go and enjoy your football and I had two good years at Troon and Air United um, took me um, there I went back to Air and played two seasons at Air United which was brilliant brilliant um, I really enjoyed it it was good for me it was a wee bit of self-vindication that you could take a step back and come forward again based on your ability and had two good seasons at Air United and then joined Irvine Meadow Meadow were doing well at the time spent a bit of money my dad had ended up in the job but I spoke to the chairman there and he was you know, he was an Air fan as well. He came to a lot of their games and wanted me to come in there. Signed a long-term deal at the Meadow and we were settled and we ended up winning a lot of trophies. I moved to Coburnie at the end of my playing career and I got a really, really bad ankle injury. I needed an operation. So um, I was six months. Swifty was a the manager there, um, Stephen Swift. And uh, what happened was I got a bad ankle injury and I decided, I could have stayed there for the season and seen the season out, but I decided to can I terminate my contract and just say, look guys, you go and invest the money elsewhere, Swifty needed it, and he went and spent the money elsewhere, and just as I had kind of stopped and waiting in my operation, go in and parted ways with our manager, and myself and Colin Stewart um, took over as co-managers, and that's been me since, Colin since departed, and he's full-time at Rangers as a goalkeeping coach, and uh, myself, Colin and Alan Hood kind of started what we're at now. I'm going to take you back there to the meadow, Yes. Obviously, obviously, your dad was the manager there. You must have got some stick off the boys for that. Oh, God, I. God, I. I mean, I still get stick for the boys. We've still got a group chat with the old Meda players and they still get it. And if I'm getting the better of them, they just revert to, I. you only were there because your dad was a gaffer spraying the geese. But <laughs> geese, geese so. I get that. I get that uh, all the time. But that, listen, that was hard to deal with because we were, I was from Irvine. You know, the family's from Irvine originally. Um, my dad was a Meadow player and 
when I played and I didn't play well, he get the stick, I get the stick. Um, if I played well, it was pass marks. It wasn't a pat in the back, it was just pass marks. But I had the strength of character to deal with it and I did get a lot of stick in my time there, both for the players and both for the, for the punters. But at the end of the day, we were successful and I was part of a successful team for a number of years. Going to go back, you also said you went to Ardeer. Obviously, Ardeer's been in New Mains League this year and have struggled. Obviously, you, you played with them. It was the kind of Ayrshire Regional yes. League. How's things changed there? Because uh, were, were they a successful team back then in kind of the, the regional setups? Uh, no. I mean, my dad had relative success. He took them to a Scottish Cup quarterfinal. It was a last-minute goal for Auchinleck to equalise up at uh, Beechwood, and Auchinleck beat them in a replay. Um, but they've been kind of starved of success for a number of years. They had a couple of mini promotions, but at that time they were just kind of bedding down and, and, and looking to go up from the Ayrshire League. They have a good following down there, you know, a bit of hardcore following. Um, and and yeah, it was an enjoyable time because you were playing with freedom. You were playing for the enjoyment of the game and most of the boys that were there were playing for the enjoyment of the game there was no money as such um, you were playing just to, to get a game and, and, and enjoy yourself and you, you'll be very much the same at New Mains obviously in the fact that you know you don't have a big budget to work with you've got to get the, the best at the guys just in the, as professional as you can make it as enjoyable as you can and then add one or two good boys who maybe recruit for you help you in that state and, and you can build something and that, that's the hard thing about doing there when you've got no money to entice boys in. You've just got to make yourself as professional as you can and, and give them something that they'll enjoy. And I think I had that at Ardia. Paul, uh, Paul mentioned your dad there and, and how you had to stick off the boys. What was it like having your dad as the manager there? I mean, I remember listening to Nigel Clough talking about how his dad almost treated him tougher oh, than anybody else. You know, was it a similar experience... Absolutely, absolutely. I like you never got a well done, and I mean that. It, it wasn't. It wasn't that he didn't think you had done well. It just was a case of fine, move on to the next one. I know. Plus, he knows what I was capable of, and he wanted to push you on and whatever else. He'd seen me playing since I'd been a kid, and um, if I wasn't doing the business, I was the first one to get it, and that had to be the case. Um, if there was a show in discipline, he was tough on me. Um, I remember coming off one game and smashed the water bottle because I got subbed didn't feel I should have been subbed that was me and they done all that night but um, <laughs> <laughs> no fortunately by that time I had when we were at Meadow I had moved out and I had a family of my own so we could kind of leave it at the door but aye there was fallouts there was loads of fallouts loads of um, dummy at the pram for me basically and when I look back my son's coming through now and he plays with Cowan and Rangers um, under 17s he plays with Scotland um, he comes in the odd time and trains with us and I'm no different to him as to what my dad was to me and one of the boys the other day says Christ you're tough than him gaffer but that's just how it is if he's in playing with me you know he's, he's going to be the first guy to get it that's just because I can't be seen to give any quarter and look at as though there's favouritism there and that's the same as it was with my dad I also read a I read a quote from your dad saying that you're no chip off the old block. Are you, I mean, have you learned stuff off him as a manager or are you totally, I mean, I guess you're totally your own man, obviously, but are there, are there elements of his style in, in your style? Uh, totally do, you know what? do you know what? Initially, my dad was quite a fiery, feisty character and he mellowed as we went on. I was probably the same. I think everybody's the same when they go in. You, you know, you read a few books and, 
you, you hear things and one of the things about that self-awareness part and that's something that I've tried to become better at is being more self-aware of what my behaviour does for the boys and, and, and how that reflects and I'm, I'm certainly vocal at the side of the park um, I, I like to help the boys as much as I can but I'm trying to take a, a step back trying to be more calm in my output and, and certainly as I say that self-awareness kept into my dad later on and I spoke there previously about having um, money to spend Irvin Meadow were probably the biggest spending team at that point in time and it's very easy to point to you know people and say oh he's got the biggest budget and he's done this and he's done that um, you had to manage a lot of egos there was a lot of winners a lot of people who had an opinion in there and he was very good at managing the team the team tended to manage itself um, and, and as a builder I take wee bits for everybody but um, he's certainly somebody that I learned off of and and appreciate the input that he had in my career. I'm going to hold you on that Irvin Meadow team because at the time I remember they were sort of the darvel of the day, weren't they? I mean, every, you know, you've seen some real big players down there. See, for the, the, the people listening, can you tell us a wee bit more about that team and, and, and what you went on to win? Because it really was, I mean, they were as big as most senior clubs in kind of Division 1 and Division 2 at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, we... Famously, we did. We went. We were the first club that, to go and beat a league side in the Scottish Cup. First junior club, we beat Arbroath. Um, we beat Arbroath one 0 that day. And and to be fa- to be fair to us, in that day, it could have been six or seven. I think the Ar- the, the Arbroath goalie had an absolute stormer. Um, but we had we had characters, and 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 it's something that there's probably a a lack of in today. And when I mean characters, we had leaders. Um, we probably the, the thing that will get cast up to us is we never went and won the Scottish Cup as a, as a group. We should have won the Scottish Cup. We lost a semi final. We lost three, I think, sorry, four quarter finals and a fifth round. We just the pressure got to us in the end, and you could point to us and say we bottled or whatever else. We wanted to win it too much. Irvine Meadow hadn't won the Scottish Cup since 1974, and when we got to the the, the final stages, we were always the favourites, and that underdog tag that teams had against us it really helped them and the, the pressure probably was too much on us and uh, looking at me as a, as a person um, and as a player at that time that group of players is a sad indictment on us as a group that we never done and we never went on and won that because we certainly should have but on the day as cup football's like when you don't get over that first hurdle then the next one becomes more difficult and the next one and the next one and the next one and gradually uh, it away at us but we we won four titles, numerous other cups, but as I say, the, the the thing that will rankle with me is that we never quite won that Scottish. And was there a pressure for Kevin McDonald? Uh, he was the only player with a full set of medals. And he's paid me 50 quid to ask you that. Kevin McDonald, wow. <laughs> Kevin McDonald, that group chat of ours, he sticks up his beef medal every, every <laughs> other day. Mate, tough time for being the only centre half in the world that can't header the ball, can't tackle... He just sticks up his medal and says, lads, then he's got this. So he, <laughs> he, gets ejected, he gets ejected for the group every now and again and let back on. Uh, you mentioned, well, we mentioned earlier on there about uh, that night when, you know, you, you guided the team to successive promotions. And by the sounds of it, you, you knew going into the, the final week's games of that season that the knives were out for you and somehow you managed to keep that from the squad in, when was it, 2016, I think? Yeah, 
Um, yeah, uh, bizarre. I found out in the day of the playoff uh, second leg, we'd lost to Shettleston 3-2 in the first leg. God only knows how we had lost, you know, that game because we were excellent up at Shettleston, missed a penalty and we went into the game and I found out, actually I used to go to the park at Old Abbey Park, I used to go into the ground very early and because we were quite a slick team, I used to like the pitch being watered in the summer, so I would go in and move the hoses, um, my job allowed me to do that, so I would go in and move the hoses and somebody phoned me on my mobile and says, here, uh, Strainy, I heard you've been sacked. So I said, oh, where did you get that info? Well, it's getting passed about up the town. And one of the committee guys had said up the town they've had a vote and it was sacked. So I phoned the chairman at the time and he couldn't give me a straight answer. So I phoned somebody else and just kind of double bluffed it and said, oh, well, is this my last game tonight? Um, great. And the guy actually came out and said, yeah, we had a vote on Sunday and, and you're out. So at that point in time, I was like, I'm taking this club to the top division here and they've, they've binned me. But I really... I really wanted to leave knowing that I had done everything in my power to take the club to where I was going and where it was going. And it was a clash. It was certainly just a clash. Of, um, the guys in charge at the time, it was John West and Barry Devlin. And uh, they were the, the kind of guys. And we had a fallout over recruitment. When we were playing the Bees in the semi-final, they wanted me to sign a player. Um, and I wanted to sign the boy Mark Archdeacon for Dorai. Um, Mark at the time could play on the left and could play up top. And what I felt was we could do a number just in case we get an injury because we're going in both fronts. And anybody that I was going to sign, I didn't want to sign somebody that would come in and upset the apple cart. I wanted to sign somebody that would come in, fit in, whether they played initially or whether they built themselves into the team. And what was told to me was, uh, now we're not signing him. Um, he's not a big enough name for the club. And I thought, well, I'm the guy that decides here. You've asked me to go and get a player. This is the guy I've identified. No, we want somebody to come in that he's addressing him a lift into these last couple of games. So I said, well, what's my budget to do this then? If I bring Messi in and a fiver, what, what, what are you looking for here? And they said, well, you tell me the player and what they're wanting and we'll tell you whether we want them or not. And I thought, you know what, well, that's not how it works. So anyway, subsequently, I knew there was a boy on loan at Stenrara. He was a Dutch boy. He was at Stenrara and they had made him available for on loan. And he was wanting 60 quid a week. And I said to the guys, oh, there's a guy standing there, uh, on loan, Dutch boy. I said, oh, get him in. And I thought, you've never seen him play. You've never, you don't know where he plays. What? A, just because it's a name. And I thought, nah, do you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'd rather have the boy Arch Deacon. And I was bringing Archie in. Archie was nailing a lot of money at um, Dorai. I was bringing him in for less than what we had offered the, the other guy. And I said, do you know what? I'd feel more comfortable with that. And they said, nah, well, you can't bring him in. You're over budget. And I just thought, do you know what? This isn't going to end well telling me what to do with recruitment and stuff like that. So that's that's the whole, whole truth behind it. I then played the semi-finals, got the team promoted, and that night, nobody told me, even though I had been sacked, the guys disappeared and I'd never seen them. And I was on my B licence through in St Andrews, and I got a text to say, um, you've been relieved of your duties. And I just thought, you know what, that sums it up, the cowardice of the whole thing, not to be able to have the conversation to my face. So, so then what happened there? Because by the sounds of it, you know, that didn't last too long, did it? And you were back for the start of the season. Oh, there was an EGM, and as you can imagine, the supporters were pretty unhappy um, at this. And there was a bit of a, there was rumours of a coup at the EGM that they were going to oust the committee and reinstate another committee. And by this time, I was just thinking, you know what, this is an absolute. Uh, I don't want to swear, but 
I, it was an absolute shambles, let's just say. And um, it it went that the guys that were in charge resigned. Um, the chairman at the time took the helm again. He uh, he reinstated me as manager, but I was six weeks behind in terms of prep going into a new season. And it's the toughest I've ever worked as a manager is that season. I think they lost the first three games. He pulled me into the office and said, I don't think this is working. He said, uh, you need to win a couple of these games coming up. Or you're at the door. And I thought, I've went, I'm in, I'm out. It's like the hokey-cokey here. <laughs> so fortunately, we won a couple of games and things settled down and we went a good run. We, again, we got the quarterfinals of the Scottish that year. Um, we beat Kelty and Kelty were... That's probably my... St- we beat one Lithgow the week after they beat uh, Ross County. That was a, a massive result for the week after they beat off Ross County and Scottish. We beat them 4-1 heavy underdogs in the season we got to the semi-final. And that was my favourite performance you know, at the time. But the best performance tactically and everything else was when we beat Kelty in the, in the sixth round up at uh, Kelty on the Astro because they were heavy favourites for the Cup that year and we, we bossed them on the day. How did the politics work at the club? You, you you mentioned that obviously committees being ousted and that. Obviously there must have been a a benefactor down at uh, Irving Meadow at the time was putting the money in. Did they not have any kind of say over the board? How, how did it operate? How did it work? No, go in and, um, uh, no, there was a committee, but it was headed up by Barry and and John, and there was a couple. Of, there was five or six other guys. But to be honest, the five or six other guys were in there. They were there in name only, and that can I. But what Barry and John were saying at the time was was going, and it's well documented that Barry and uh, John were in at Hurlford when uh, Derek McCulloch won the league at Hurlford and got them promoted, and and they sacked him in that vein as well, exact same thing. So uh, he'll tell you the scenario that happened there if you ever speak to Dell. But for me, it was just they wanted control, and I wasn't willing to give up control, and it was either me or them, and eventually the. The popular choice was was me, which I've never won a popularity contest before. So <laughs> I, I did hear a, a rumor today, though, Chris, that despite the uh, the, the news of uh, you leaving the club, it didn't ruin the night out after the game. <laughs> I walked up the pub and the boys were all chanting, "You're getting sacked in the morning," <laughs> which the celebrations went on to three or four in the morning. We had a great group of boys then. Great group of boys, um, you know, Brian Boylan, uh, Ian Cashmore, Ben Lewis and Ross Stewart all scored 20 plus goals that season. Um, just we, had, we just had a great camaraderie, a great uh, blend, a youth and experience and as the season rolled we just gathered momentum. It was a shame that it broke up because I wasn't in situ and a few of the players got poached and went elsewhere and it was a break up of something that was good fortunately we held on to three or four of the good ones and managed to build again and and I it's it's all been it's all been a learning experience let's just say now listen I'll not come up against something like that again the rest of the time in my management or I hope anyway no so it's one of the ones you never lose you learn (laughs) you you also mentioned there earlier that the club has obviously moved grounds just left Abbey Park. I think the team that played you for ninety odd years was it? I think. Yeah. Um, how how was that? I mean, obviously you talk about it affecting your budget as well, but just that you know somewhere that you know the the club has been yeah. for so long and it's part of the kind of the, the sort of the I don't know the, the sort of the whole theme of the club is that is that yeah. is it around that ground? It's, it's, very, 
Cowinan is, is a town's very steeped in history, Gareth, you know, and, and um, Abbey Park, isn't it? It's kind of, it's a bit romantic if you've ever played there. It's, it's below the Abbey Church and, you know, it's it's got a scenic view and whatever else. And there's a lot of the, a lot of the supporters were of an older generation and it kind of ripped the club in two. Um, if you asked me when it was first muted, my honest answer was I didn't want to leave because of the feeling when you played at the ground, the atmosphere, you know, you, you felt that the town was behind you, you know, everybody was of a, of a certain vintage was right into it. And, and when it was first muted, I was like, do you know what? This could be contentious, as it was. And it did, it, had a, it really divided the club in two. But in terms of the club being here for another 90 years, we had to do what we did. And, and people who said they wouldn't be back at the new ground, thankfully, have come back and they've put their shoulder to the wheel to support the club again. Um, but it was a real difficult time. And as I say, we had a really difficult season, the season we left there. And you could feel the emotion of it all. I certainly could. Um, it, it wasn't how, there wasn't a nice atmosphere at the club, let's just say. But we moved on from it. You've got to consign these things to the past. You've got to move on. You've got to make the best of it. And I think we've done that. I think the season that we had last season um, meant that, you know, it was a wee bit easier to swallow for some of the guys because we did do as well. If we'd have went last season and maybe struggled, then, you know, we could have been harping back to, oh, it wasn't as good as the old times. But fortunately, we had a decent season and there's potential there now where we are to just, you know, to, to go on as far as, as we can. And with the glass ceiling, uh, um, the juniors being lifted off, um, the club's got it's got to aim for the stars as far as I'm concerned and, and keep going. Just going to come in on that, obviously moving ground as you touched on, huge thing eh, especially in a, in, a, in a town that's steeped in junior tradition. We're all moving on now, we're all going to the new west of Scotland League. How's the supporters, because it is quite a, a kind of agent support that you've got down at Kilwin and how have they taken to the, obviously the, not, not the new ground but actually the new league structure and, and actually yeah. moving away from the juniors, have they embraced it? Uh, well, coming on the back of moving ground, the next decision for the club was to cut ties with the juniors. And again, it's probably that same older, you know, person who remembers the Halcon days, as I say, the 99 where the team swept the boards. But we've got, I think you said there we've got an agent support. Aye, that's true. We've got a, an agent support. But my heavens, if you come to our ground, there's probably 100 kids come to our, ground, our game every week. And I mean, you know, when I'm saying kids, you're talking from four up to the age of ten, there's probably about a hundred. Can I get on our park at half time? And I can remember being a kid going to Irvin Meadow when my dad played with Irvin Meadow and that was the bit that you loved. As soon as a half time whistle went, you were out and kicked the ball in the goals. And if you come down to our place, we gave season tickets to everybody in the primary schools in our catchment. So all the kids got a free season ticket. So they all come, they all bring their wee season ticket and then they come and they get a juice and a crisps and because all the teams play out of there, it feels like home to them. And that's something that we worked hard to harness and something that we worked hard and their parents come down and, you know, it's a modern facility. Everybody's got a toilet where, you know, you can, especially in these times, you wash your hands, you can feel safe and hygienic. And that and that's a big reason for moving on. We couldn't afford it as a club to do up Abbey Park. It would have cost us in the region of £250,000, £300,000 to do what we needed to do to, to just to stay there. Um, no, no even talking about licensing we needed new changing rooms they were literally falling down um, so what we've got now is just night and day and, and everybody's 
feeling that we can produce forward momentum and continue that upward trajectory. And does it feel like home? Yes, for me it does. Aye. It's been pretty, pretty quick to feel like home. Um, the players love it. helps that we've got a great surface. Um, the stands are now in the process of going up just now and there's a 100-foot community building being put in just now to um, have bar facilities, to have youth clubs, to have all the stuff that we need to just really kick on and, and generate income for both ourselves and that sports club. So uh, we've got our 20s in this year, which is a new thing for most teams as well. A lot of teams have got their 20s in. I've seen the boys training. I really hope that it's our under-17s that have moved up to our under-20s. They were in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup this year. There's five or six boys from co-winning who, in my opinion, can play at our grade of football. So the future's looking bright for us. And you've obviously got a celebrity fan as well and wrestler Gredo. Has he ever come to the games? He has. I've seen him at a few games. I I was on his uh, show no long ago and uh, he's, he's right into it. I think he was brought into it because his dad was such a big supporter. And he'll tell you himself, his dad was one of the major uh, guys who were dead opposed to his moving ground but now that he's came to the new ground he's brought round to it along with his dad and that's what it takes it takes everybody to uh, listen if they come and they try it and they don't like it then fine but just to say they're not going back it, it's detrimental to the club that they support and they love so hopefully we can get everybody back that said you know I'll not be back in that new ground so aye things are moving on and it's looking good I'm Cammy Bell Queen's Park goalie and this is Down the Divisions we sure have brought in local lad Zach Caldwell. The attacking fullback can also play in midfield. Darvel have dipped back into the transfer market again this week. 22-year-old defender Cameron Eady is the latest to join McKennedy's side. BSC Glasgow have signed Ryan Tierney from Dumbarton. Johnston Borough have brought back Chris Byrne, who's part of the squad from the 2018-2019 season and returns after a spell living in Valencia. And yet another former senior man will be playing in the West of Scotland League setup. That's after former Falkirk and Brad player Mark Stewart joined St. Paddocks. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bayern manager. You're listening to Down in Divisions. Chris, does that, does that show the, the calibre of the, the West of Scotland League setup when, when you're seeing guys like, like Mark Stewart? You know, you've also seen guys like Darren McKinnon, these kind of guys dropping down. Yeah, absolutely magnificent. Magnificent for us. Um, there's a lot made at Darville spending money. Fair play to them. If they've got it, spend it. That's my opinion on it. It's up to the rest of us to make sure that we're good enough. Um, uh, the guys that don't like it, there's, a, there's an element of jealousy about it. I'm certainly jealous of them. I'm envious that they can go and do what they need to do. But ultimately, it's up to me to get my players. I've said to them just now a couple of them on the group chat, oh, who are Darville signing this week? I'm not interested in who Darville are signing. It's 11 v 11 when it comes on that park and they need to be good enough to beat us. It's as simple as that. Um, again, you look at it, when we were uh, Irvin Meadow, I was in the receiving end of the, the, the good contracts and um, the, the guys that were coming in that were highly regarded from senior football, they did it at the time. Um, the, the issue you've got is obviously the club wasn't left in a great state when the people who obviously had the money um left the club there was a lot of um, tax liabilities and stuff like that and the meadow suffered for a couple of years um, but as far as I'm aware everything that they're doing at Darville just now um, they're, they're investing in infrastructure and helping the community and that's what it's all about um, 99% of the support that you get through the door comes from your own community and that west of Scotland just what you're talking about there 
Um, you, you know, you're speaking about Drum Chapel coming in. There's there's another area where it's got a strong community fan base. These guys can't afford to spend SPL, you know, prices to go and watch a game of football. They can maybe afford to spend seven quid, three quid for a pie. You get a tenner, you've got a day out. You're guaranteed entertainment. And if these guys can, you know, afford to pay good money to get these players in, then so be it. So be it. It's it's professional football for a want a, a better word. I, I've had this argument with a few people in the past. They're saying, oh, you know, it'll ruin uh, junior football. It's no junior football anymore. You know, the clubs have got an entitlement to go and, and if they have the money to spend it to get to where they want to go to, they've got a responsibility to the community to spend it in the right manner and to make sure that they don't jeopardise the future of their clubs. But, however, if they're going to do it and do it responsibly, then by all means, crack on. How is your you know, lockdown period been in terms of recruitment? I mean, we've just talked there about these guys who are coming in. And, and I think you brought in 10 last season, didn't you? And, and, I mean, I've, yes. I've seen you brought in the likes of I think Tony Coots has come in and Liam McGuinness has come back as well. You, have you been happy with the way your recruitment has gone so far and can we expect more signings to come between now and October? Probably one. I'm one short of the squad number that I want. I've got 17 signed players at this moment in time. Um, I've offered contracts to 14 out of 15 players that I had at the end of last season. Um, 12 of those have signed, which shows you, again, that we've got a continuity there. Um, disappointed that a couple of them haven't signed as yet, um, but Again, we'll move on for that. that no, everybody, you know, you can't get everybody that you're in for. Um, similarly, the new boys that are brought in have brought in areas that I feel we need to strengthen. Um, Adam Stain's been a brilliant goalkeeper for me for the best part of five seasons. He's had a couple of long-term injuries, kind of mid-season, maybe seven, eight weeks through muscle injuries, a dislocated finger. And um, I brought in this year um, Jamie um, and big Jamie his came in for Sterling and for me he's 29 he's a right good age for a goalkeeper um, and what I've been looking for there is a long term successor to Adam Adam's the same age as me he can't go on forever but as I say it develops competition there and what I've said is look, whoever's, uh, whoever gets the gloves whoever gets in you've got the gloves and you can play but it's just that type of recruitment for me was you know we we had to had to, had to really generate competition for places because every week the boys knew really who was going to play last year and, and I need to generate competition and that's just an example of one of the areas we've done that Do you find it difficult Chris attracting people down to call one and, uh, sort of from the central belt or do you do a lot of more of your recruitment from guys that are kind of more Ayrshire based um, Do you know what we've, got, we've probably got a Carsworth that come for um, beyond Paisley let's just say um, you have to obviously pay them that wee bit more money because they're coming the distance. Um, I don't have, as I say, vast sums of cash to spend. Um, so I have to look local or as local as possible, really. And it helps me. It, it does help you. But what I have done this year is, when I've spoke to people, I've told them, you might get more money elsewhere, but you'll not get treated any better elsewhere. And when I bring them down and I show them the facilities, I've got a gem up my sleeve when we go and we recruit. I've got a kit man. And when I bring them in and I show them that their training gear gets washed for them, their shin guards get kept for them, their boots get washed and cleaned for them, the dressing room's sitting. If you've got under armour, it's initialed. If you've got under socks, they're initialed, they're there for you. 
we treat the place as professionally as we possibly can. And when I show them the pitch, when I show them where we train, we've got more at Cowan. We've got more pitches in Murray Park. We have got a facility there that is, I think there's what, four outfield, two, another three. There's seven full size eleven aside pitches. There's a full size Astro and there's four mini court AstroTurfs. So in terms of training facilities, in terms of there's a full size gym there for the guys to go and use as well. So we feed the guys after training. So you'll not get a more professional setup at a level or we strive to make sure that we are on par with the best of the best. Um, the reason for me doing that is to say to the guys, come a Saturday, you don't want for anything for me. So, you know, I'm asking you to come here and play your best and give me your best. And that's what's expected. So the boys are great. I've absolutely got a brilliant squad. But it's just, and what I'm trying to say at the start there, the gem up my sleeve is the people who are in and around the club. I've got good, good, good people who do it on a voluntary basis. And these people get forgot about all the time. They look to the pitch, they look to the results. The chairman, the guys that take the money at the gate, everybody's into the club. You can feel the enthusiasm when you walk through the door. So when I can get people down, if I'm speaking on the phone to somebody and they go, oh, I'm wanting 100 quid, and you go, right, I'll give you 100 quid, and they sign. They're no signing for you. They're signing for 100 quid. Anybody can give them 100 quid. But if you get them done, you show them the place, you tell them what you want to do, show them the infrastructure of the place, and they say, I want in here. That's it for me. I never, ever, ever, ever in my first conversation with anybody will offer them a deal. Never. Just, who is the kit man then? Because he must be working morning, noon and night then if, uh, if he's Aye. doing that in a season. Brian Jardin is the chap's name. Um, Brian is, we call him Winston at the club. He's got a major limp. Um, he, he's that unsung hero. He, he gets plenty of praise. He likes it. The boys have a wee chip in for him at Christmas and whatnot and everything else. But, um, Brian, Brian had a stroke a few years ago and he had to retire for his work and um, he says this keeps him going this gives him a purpose in life he enjoys it that's what he wants and, and to have that for somebody he, the, the boys absolutely love him they adore him in fact <laughs> the chairman last week or a couple of weeks ago was kicking a ball about the park when he was down at the park doing the ground and whatnot and he kicked the ball in the direction of the goals and it hit Brian in the back of the head and it detached his retina. Alright. There you go. So the chairman nearly killed a kit man. <laughs> so the chairman's now the chairman's now running him about everywhere. He's, he he can't be any nicer to him, take him up for his hospital appointments to get his eyes sorted and uh, but that just shows you the type of kind of camaraderie we've got at the club that we can sit and laugh about that. I mean he he kills himself laughing, he says it's not bad enough that only one leg works now, only about one eye working. <laughs> I take it in all seriousness, he is okay don't know. Yeah, no, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. He's, he is, he's on the very much on the mend. And uh, you mentioned Alan Hood earlier on. How, how kind of, uh, I know he's no longer at the club, he's working down at Kermarnock now, he's got a, got a full-time job down there, but how, uh, everybody knows Alan Hood in Scottish football, how, how, uh, how, much, how much did he give you, how much, how much uh, experience did he, he allow you to lean on at times when he was at the club? Hoodie and I first came across each other when I was a cheeky, loudmouth apprentice at Kilmarnock. And uh, I wouldn't say Hoodie was, he had a lot of time for me as a kid. Um, what gives you that impression? Well, he's told me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we, had, we, we were both fickle winning, we had a few run ins. I just, again, that immaturity that I spoke about earlier, um, Alan was a mature pro at the time, and then 
when he when he came back, I'm friends with his cousins, um, and he was living in Cowinan again at the time, and I, and I asked him to get involved, and the professionalism that he brought to the club at the time was brilliant, and I don't mean as in training and, and what he did, all he did was have that presence, that aura that, you know, if things get tough, he challenged me every day, he always asked, you know, why are you doing this, what are you doing that for, why, that was great for me because it let me really think and analyse what I was doing. I didn't do things in a whim because you were getting challenged with your number two, which was great. But also, when things got to the nitty-gritty, he was there to support me. And I can remember a game we were doing at Maybowl when that season we got promoted into the top league. And we changed the team a bit because we were playing five and six games actually at that time because we got the semi-final. We were trying to keep boys fresh. We lost 1-0, game we should never have lost. And I was getting, and I tore into the boys because we were complacent. And it's easy for a good cop, bad cop scenario to develop, but we always joke about this. If I was bad cop, he would go in as worst cop. And and it just kind of reaffirmed. You, you knew somebody had your back and you knew if you were letting them know about standards. He wasn't standing in the background, you know, having a laugh and a joke. He was there. He was there to do a job. He was there to win. And, and that manifested itself through the club. So he was a great help to us in the early days. Unfortunately, he went away and I've had great assistants. Jim McLeod came in after him. Jim was another type of character. Jim wasn't as vociferous as Alan and his um, demeanour or anything else. But what he was was great in terms of planning, great in terms of preparation. And he'd come from, um, his background was predominantly in youth football at the time. And he had a great reassurance and calming way with the players. If I was getting a, bit, you know, a wee bit too hyper or whatever else, he was able to you know, keep that equilibrium. So... Hi, he was great for us, and now I've got my brother-in-law in as my number two, and Barry Fleeton. And um, Barry's a player that just came to the end of his playing days, and brilliant coach, and great in the training pitch. But because he had played with a number of the boys, he's got a respect to the boys in the dressing room, and um, they call him the intelligent one. I don't know what that says about me, but um, Barry, Barry's a clever lad, and um, this year I've seen another side to him because I've consciously tried to mellow and, and take yourself out of that conflicting environment sometimes that you can get into with players I've come in and you know given them the how would I say this the, the analysis maybe at half time or something like that and Barry's maybe felt I've no uh, I've no gone hard enough on them and he's lost the plot and I've never seen him lose the plot never so um, it's good to see that he's got that in him as well that he can, um, he can and it's that old adage if you're losing the plot all the time, the boys can attend to tune off. Whereas if he loses the plot, he gathers their attention because they're not used to him losing the plot. You lose the plot, Paul. I have been known to, but it's one of those things, isn't it? You, like, you need to look at the environment you're in as well and what you're, the guys you're working with. Sometimes, if you, you know, especially when we first went into uh, new mains, it's like if you're coming up against a team that's much better than you it's very difficult the one thing that annoys me and the one thing I, you know, I do lose the plot over if you give an instruction and you don't do it and you say to a player look all I want you to do today is that and then he repeatedly doesn't do it and you come in at half time you might be lost two goals and I, I will but I'm in a similar position to yourself where Craig Gutwell's the same it can be bad cop and even worse cop do you know what I mean usually though if, if it's going to go off, I just walk in and, and it goes off. But even even this year, I'm, I'm a bit like yourself, Chris. Take a wee step back, actually. Come out the changing room, 
take yourself away from the situation, then go back in and you can address it. Because see, all it does is raises my blood pressure and it's high enough as it is. Aye, emotion's a big part of the game. And if, if you take emotion out, it's not the same game. You can see that just now, you know, with the SPL and you look at some of the games, it does feel as if they're almost training-like. But um, we're playing in front of crowds maybe 300, 400 on a regular basis. Um, there's still a demand from these paying customers that you go on and you give your best. And the only time I ever give the boys a bit now is when, similar to what you said there, if we've prepped and we've done homework and we've done something and I'm not doing what you ask or we've started the game in a slack or haphazard manner, I'll give the verbals at that point in time. But generally at halftime, you're trying to get a point across now that allows you to win the game. It's not a case of you're going in there to tear shreds off, boys, because it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's a different... It's a different society now, you know, kids don't like it. Chuck it. <laughs> By the way, I've seen it, you, you lose them. If you if you do it too often, you lose them. Remember one of the times, very, very funny, quick example. We were up at Cumbernauld and it was that first season we were in charge. And I'd sat up all night on a Friday night doing where we should be at set pieces. You know one of the ones, right, OK, I'll have him on the post, I'll have him in the goalkeeper. He's good at defending that area. We nearly lost a goal just before half time. We lost a goal for a set piece. And I've come in, and I've pushed off the boy. You know, it's one of the ones you're punching the magnetic board. Where are you supposed to be? You know where you're supposed to be. We've gone through this. The wee guys are flying all the dressing room. You're thinking, it's no no. In fact, it was no no at the time. You're going, well, it's no no here. I don't want to go too hard on them and you lose them for the second half. So I'm going, right, big call, and I'll bring it back into line here. He's come in. He said I go at one of the boys because while I've been talking, he's been fiddling with his laces and whatnot. So he's went, you get your head up when he's talking to you. A bit of respect. As for a lot of you, that's what's wrong with you. You know, we've got, uh, we've, you've been given instructions. It's a respect matter and everything. You're going, oh, wow. No, no, you're in terms of stuff. We needed to win the game or we needed a point at the game. And uh, the next thing I'm thinking, right, who do who do sweep up here? He'll get them back on track. Who do has Absolutely. one of the boys answered them back during the first half he's gone he's lost he's shouting oh he's giving it the effing and Jeff and all sorts and I remember going that walked out there and it was the boy with the captain's commitment gaffer it's now no what's happening here and I was like it should be five now to us blah, blah, blah. just get it there and play anyway we drew one each but I was it was one of the occasions where you go we need to get our story straight before we go back in here the next time and somebody at least give them a bit of praise I tell you the funny story. We were doing an airshot, and we were playing Anne Bank, and that's probably one of my funniest stories. Playing Anne Bank, and my be- even my best player, my player of the year at the back, was having a mare. And I think at half time we went. I can't even. It was four or five or something at half time, right? Honestly, it was like playing against the red arrows. They were running everywhere. We couldn't pick them up. Like we chucked it so I went in at half time you're five now down I've lost it I've lost the plot and I'm saying to them when we get back out there now I want to see some commitment we're not going to get five back but you know two minutes and we lose another two right and my best player the boys run by he just stuck a leg out and uh, it's down at, near the airport at Prestwick and a helicopter flies by right and I'm raging I'm absolutely my blood's boiling and uh, my goalkeeper coach come up to me and it was the Coast Guard. He was flying over and Big Bass just puts his arm around. He says, Gaffer, I'll not be long and he'll come and get us. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, you think to yourself, you know, well, you know, you're losing the plot. If you're uh, five, I'll do it at half time. You think to yourself, 
you've wasted your Saturday night as it is. Going off your nuts, not going to help it. No, I know. I know, and we've all been there, you know, but as you, as I say to you, it's that emotion. But again, and this is what I'm trying to get better at, you know, you're on your licences and you're on different things to learn. I'm a great believer in reading books and, and trying to better yourself, and it's emotional intelligence. It's when to lose the plot. You know, sometimes you do it for show. Sometimes it's to get a reaction. Um, other times it's better, you know, it's the old daddy's put an arm around somebody, whatever else. But that emotional intelligence is something that you, you need to get better at yourself you need to learn as a coach, and yeah. I'm all for that, you know, that, that's a big part of my development, uh, there was a, kind of, a light bulb moment for me, two seasons ago, that, that when we were moving the ground, as I, we spoke before, we were in the quarterfinals, of the Scottish Cup up at Largs, and we, we were down 4-0, um, two men sent off, and there was 20 minutes to go, and there's not, you're powerless. There's absolutely, you're not getting back in the game. There's nothing you can do. And at this point in time, I knew a few of the guys, as I had said to you just now, they were going elsewhere. I had made up my mind on it because of the egos. We were tripping their bottom lips and stuff like that. And there was too much arguing with referees and we had made a target for the run back. But I was, uh, I was part of the reason. My emotion at the side of the park was too much maybe for referees too much for the players the example that I was setting wasn't the right example, although I wasn't meaning it in the manner that it was coming across I was over vociferous, my players were then over vociferous, maybe hyped up too much and I sat and I went, you know what, it's not them that's to blame here, it's yourself and you need to come up with something else now we've had three or four years of giving it you know, I'm the authority, you listen to what I say you can't want players to want what you want. You have, oh, sorry, you want them to want what you want. You can't make them. Yeah. And that for me was that moment where I sat and went, you know what? You need to have a look at yourself first and foremost. You need to change. You need to change the ones. If if you want it to be different, you have to make it different. And touch wood, it's been better since then. I've not been sent off myself either since then. And, <laughs> and get better. Get better. Get better. <laughs> not saying it will not happen. Not saying it won't happen. But um, getting better. You mentioned. Recently, I've 
I've read uh, a book by Steve Salas. He's the assistant manager at um, Millwall, I think, at this moment in time. But he was a former uh, PE teacher at school, um, assistant head teacher as well at a school. And it's about leadership, behaviours, emotional intelligence, all that different stuff. Stuff that you need to get better at if you want to go further in the game. Simple as that. Talking about emotions and controlling them, perhaps can you talk us through the time you went on holiday with Stevie Farrell and he put you through the toughest ever pre-season uh, session uh, ever, apparently, was. so he says, anyway. Uh, Faz was one for the running. He couldn't sprint, but he liked the long-distance stuff. And he liked, Anyway, me and Faz were very close. Uh, I played at Coenan at the time, and then we went away, and I was at Air United. I was going into Air United um, from Trun, and we went holiday as a family. I had my son at the time, and I thought I was going on holiday for a few beers and a bit of sunshine. Faz was up every morning, running, sprinting, jogging. Every morning he dragged me. The next year we went to Portugal and it was in the gym every day on the machines, four minutes on, four minutes uh, minute off, four minutes on, up to I just thought, do you know something, Faz? You're Faz a good bit older than me and I'm thinking, how's, how's he motivate himself to do this? I know how he did. He didn't drink. I was going at night time having a bottle of wine with my dinner, making me up with a split and heat in the sunshine and then he's fine, he's as fresh as paint. So I he battered me a couple of pre-seasons, so needless to say that I found another holiday partner after that. I was going to say you've uh, not been on holiday with him uh, since, have you? <laughs> no, I haven't, I haven't. Um, no, Faz is some man, he was as fit as a fiddle, Faz. Fit as a fiddle. Couldn't he, couldn't he tackle, couldn't he either. Fit as a fiddle. Hope your new holiday partner's no Swifty. <laughs> He's another one, honestly. No, couldn't he go to holiday Swifty? Swifty small doses. <laughs> <laughs> he's half an hour at a time you can't go any time with Swifty half an hour at a time when he's in a night out with the boys we all take a half hour session with him and then he flash back down it's like a round it's just it's like a round it's your round and you have to spend half an hour with Swifty <laughs> I mean, you mentioned Swifty there and we were talking to him about managerial ambitions I mean you've been there as you say seven years at uh, a kill winning it is this something that you've you've got a burning desire to to be the best you can be and to go the highest you can be? And I guess the new West of Scotland setup could help you with that as well now to kind of to, to, to take the team up to sort of yeah. satisfy some of those yeah. ambitions. Well, I, it's a fair it's a fair point. I'm not I'm in no rush to leave Cowan and I'll, I'll put that there. I'm very at home. It's my hometown team. It's very convenient for me with work life balance and everything else. But um, if the opportunity ever came up to you know, manage at a higher level. And I don't just mean maybe upper level or whatever else, Lowland League or whatever. To manage full-time would be my ambition. I'd love to do that. Um, I think I'm capable of it. Whether that's conceited or big-headed, I think you've got to have self-belief. Um, but the other side of the coin is the only way I'm going to get a job is by doing a good job at co-winning Rangers. So for me, the two go hand-in-hand. Hand. My chairman's often said to me, great that we've got you why don't you put your CV up the stairs and whatever else I think when these things happen you can tend to get disheartened if you put you know, put your name forward and you don't get the opportunity you can tend to get disheartened so my take on it is I'll do as well as I possibly can at the club that I'm at and if somebody ever chaps my door then I'll think about it at that point in time but I'm certainly not actively out there looking for jobs and how, how clear is it 
pleasing was it to, to see one of your former players? I know he's been in, in and about the top level for a, a few years now, but Ross Stewart scored on uh, on Monday night against uh, against Motherwell. Does he just epitomise what guys who are playing at, at the level of winning, at the level of you made, you know, what can be done if you, you, you get your head right and, and work hard? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's numerous guys before Ross. You've got Dougie Emery's for around your area as well, you know, played with Lanark and then went on to play with Clyde and had a sterling career at Hamilton. There's great players within the juniors, honestly, great players. For one reason or another, and, and I keep saying juniors, it's just force of habit, but for, for one reason or another, we'll call it non-league now, for, for want of a better word, um, they're good, good players, but they're there for a reason. And my take on it when I speak to players is, what do you want to do? If you want to play at this level and have a good career, that's fine. I'll absolutely take that. There is a failing somewhere. But if they understand their failing and they're willing to work at their failing, then they'll get there. And I'll, I'll draw Ross as that example. The day I went to sign Ross, I had watched Ross twice in video playing for Ardia. They were in the bottom league at the time. And I watched them against Largs on video. Took the ball in really well. Big, you know, tall, tall, skinny, lanky lad. And I thought, good touch, good awareness. So when I brought him in, and, and forgive me at the time, I, I, I'll no speak money or anything like that, but it was pennies he was coming in for. And he was, I think he was playing, he was paying money to play for Ardeer at the time. That's the, the type of kid he was. And I said to him, Look, Ross, I've seen you fleetingly, but give me an idea of what you're about. Um, give me your strengths. And he went, well, I've got a good touch, I've got good awareness. Um, I tend to think, you know, I, I can see your pass and whatever else. And I said, Great. And I said, as far as as far as I'm aware, that's good. I've seen that in your games that I've watched. I said, what about your weaknesses? What? And it's back to that self-awareness piece that I spoke about earlier. Ross said to me, and this is not a word of a lie, he went, um, well, for six foot four, I'm terrible in the air. And he said, uh, as a striker, don't score enough goals. I'm not really a good finisher. And I thought, what? You know, you're thinking to yourself, this boy's doing himself out a move here. Yeah. Uh, but I liked it. I love that he just had that understanding that that's where and I said you know what Ross I can I can cross balls in for you all day we can work on that in training you know you can learn to finish I can't give you a touch I can't buy you a touch I can't give you that intelligence I can't give you your size and by the way for a big lad he can shift so he had all the attributes but the first the main attribute that he had was a humble self-awareness that he knew he had to get better and for me he spent six months on our bench in and out I remember the first game he played for us, one of the boys like, who is this big donkey? And I was like, by the way, that is, I said, I'm telling you, now this boy play SPL. I, I, it's one of the flippant comments that you make at the time. Uh, I'm not professing to be some sort of prophet here, but I didn't, I mean, this boy could play SPL. I'm telling you, his size, his pace. He got in our team around Christmas time, scored 20 plus goals between then and the end of the season and was different class, could play up top, played in the hole, he had everything the thing one of the games he played he played against Greenock that year and he played against a boy I think he had a big centre half name I know him he played with every medal for a few years he's went back to Greenock he's a big big decent lad but he was very aggressive on the part and Ross struggled against him in the game that we played at our place he kind of got inside him a wee bit ruffled him up and whatever else and we went and played up there said to him remember the game against him you don't need to go and get involved in a battle because that's the game he liked by the way he came off 
came off the guy, bounced the ball in the corner, ran away from him, destroyed him that night. And I thought, do you know what? That just shows me how quick he is a learner. He went to Albion Rovers, wasn't he a starter at Albion Rovers? Went to St Mirren, wasn't he a starter there? Forced his way into every team he's been in. And he'll, he'll go again. He'll go again because he's built himself up and he's got that desire and hunger to go and play. And that, if I've got any message to any kids, it's know your strengths, know your weaknesses. Your strengths are fine, they'll take care of themselves, but my my word, if you work on your weaknesses, you'll become a better player. And how old was he, Chris, when you took 19 him 19 at that time. He's 24 now, so it's a bit of a, you know, at 18 he was still playing at Ardeer. Quite a progress though, isn't it? And, you know, five years, there you go, five years, and he's, you know, five years he's been touted for a Scotland cap. There you go. Wow. Hi, it's Murdo McKinnon, port manager here, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. That brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche, discover some hidden stories. Right, Chris, who was your idol as a boy? Different phases. Um, I, I went to watch Celtic when I was a kid. I'm a Celtic fan. Um, and Paul McStay was my, my hero. Um I used to wake up every Saturday morning. My dad had a VCR and I used to watch the 100 Scottish Cup final every Saturday morning. I can do the commentary for the game still. <laughs> um, I just loved I, I just loved the poise of Paul McStay. But I was a striker myself when I was younger. And uh, the Brazilian Ronaldo for me was just unbelievable. I loved, I loved you know, silky players, Del Piero, Baggio and that. But the R9, he was just different class. Never sang karaoke to Paul McStay like uh, Swifty did, though. Never what? Sang karaoke? No. Swifty was telling us he, he met him in a bar one night and uh, it was a karaoke bar and this was for you, Paul. I can believe that. He is as bold as brass. That is <laughs> absolutely no life. it's coming for him. He's a good chap, Swifty, by the way. <laughs> uh, who's, the, who's the toughest opponent you faced? Um, Playing-wise, I used to hate playing against Big Martin Campbell. Um, he played with United Big Martin um, but he played with Arvin Meadow he played with Kello as a kid He was a, a, when he played with me at United I nicknamed him Bobo because he's similar to Bobo Baldi because we were playing a wee Toro one day he stood on me and as he stood on my toe I mean Bobo was not the real Bobo but Martin Campbell was about 15, 16 stones stood on my toe and as he stood on my toe he stood get caught in my lace and he fell on top of me and that was in a Toro, and he's injured me before the start of training. And I was like, but he was quick, he could run, he was a big aggressive centre half, but he, he was a good player, a good teammate. But you didn't ask him to play. I remember playing for Ed United, Rab Riley, I got a shuriken at half time because I took a throw and I looked to play forward, and I didn't have a forward pass, turned back, played it to Big Bobo, and he got it and kicked it straight out of the park. Don't pass to Bobo. Don't pass to him, he says to me. He's in my team. I'm not <laughs> passing to him. Don't pass to him. You know he can't play. You know he can't play. Don't pass the bottom, Rab Riley's telling me. But he was my he was my toughest opponent as a player. And in, in terms of management, toughest team that you come up against at our levels, Auchinleck. Um, I played with Tam um, at Coenham, but Auchinleck, the thing about them is if you beat them, and we've beat them a couple of times, fortunately, you have to you don't get any freebies against them. Um, they set up the same way. You know how they're going to play. And in that sense, you think, oh, you can maybe do something different. You can maybe tactically do a, have a wee tweak here or whatever else. Then not matter how you play, they'll play the same way. And that's what makes them such a difficult opponent. 
Uh, what's the favourite football top you've worn and why? I think Air United, um, when I played it here, wasn't so much the look of the straps, but it was that feeling of, you know, you thought your chance had maybe slipped past a plane in the, the professional leagues. And uh, when you got there and you were playing at big stadiums and stuff like that, I mean, we played Hibs in the CIS Cup and stuff, and the Hibs team at that time, if I named that Hibs team, you think, God, they could go on and win the SPFL at the time. I think Tony Mowbray was in charge, and there was Scott Brown and Gary Caldwell, the boy Murphy that went to Middlesbrough. Um, up front was Riordan in the corner. Ivan Sproul was on the wing, fastest thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, Ian Bruzzling played in the middle of the park as well. Gave me absolute water in the heat. So, um, but I loved playing there, that wee spell I played there. It was two seasons and just playing against good teams. Um, at the time, Cowden Beath were a right good team. Craig Levine was a manager. Um, Morgo Gomez at the time, he was playing with them. And Mixu Patalini's boy, really, really good side. And I enjoyed, you just said tough opponents to come up against. They were the first team that really I had come up against that played you know, different formations. I think Craig's famed for coming up with different formations. But um, they played, they kind of played a Christmas tree formation and basically it was four of them, five of them attacked and five of them defended, but Margot Gomez was just outstanding, covered the back lot and brilliant. So I just enjoyed that time. Who's the best player you've played or, or managed? Um, I, I, I think we spoke there glowingly about Ross. I think, um, for what he's gone on and done um, I think you've got to award him that um, accolade of being the best player I've got uh, the, the boy that plays with me just now who has been there since the start with me is Ben Lewis um, Ben's no known to a lot of people but Ben's just a magnificent professional technically absolutely superb his work rate's incredible for the team he puts uh, uh, again he sacrifices himself for the team all the time he's a co-winning lad loves the club um, but You've got wee Carlo that plays with a new special, special talent, Carlo Monte. Um, was at Celtic as a kid. Tremendous left foot. Um, ball hits the back of the net with a different sound when he strikes the ball, you know. Um, so I've been fortunate to manage a right few good players. Best I've played with. Really, really difficult. I just There's different reasons why you like players. I, I, I love playing with big David Hamilton at um, Irvin Meadow. Um, he played with Stenrard and stuff like that. Um, but he was your teammate, you know. If you were going into the trenches, you'd take Hammy away, you know. He was all elbows and one of his second balls, one of his heaters. Never the most graceful in the ball, you know, but just somebody you thought, you know what, I'll take you to the trenches with me. What's the best practical joke you've seen? I was a bit of a lad for a practical joke myself. I liked, I was back to my time at Air United, Craig Conway had a 21st birthday party. And uh, it was fancy dress, and he had bought an outfit for his girlfriend, which was a French maid's outfit. And I was injured at the time, I was getting treatment for Terzo, so there was a board meeting. So I went and stuck on the French maid's outfit, and I took them tea into the boardroom. And I'd never forget Lachlan Cameron's face, he was absolutely astounded. <laughs> he actually ushered me out, he couldn't believe it. He's like, You need to go straight, that's ridiculous, that's outrageous. You know, they're having a serious budget meeting, you know, what we're doing if we're in the next league or what we're doing in this league and whatever else. And I've walked in in a French maid's outfit, and there was a few older guys in the board, and you could see they didn't think it particularly funny. So I had to kind of dig myself out a hole, but I get fined for that. 
Right. Now I've been asked to ask you a story about the naked teacup. Was that it? <laughs> we used to at Irvine Meadow on a winter's night. We always go after the training. We always get tea and toast put in the changing room. So for whatever reason it was, one night we kind of rushed in. We were soaked to the skin. But you always wanted to get your tea and your toast before the other boys, or there was none left for you. So whatever night it was, we and whip your gear off. But freezing cold, so you wanted a cup of tea, and you ha- we had to take my boots and my socks off. But we take everything else off. So we were standing having a cup of tea naked. And a couple of boys are looking at me, Swifty, Gavin Frills, sitting in the corner with our boots and my socks on, having a naked cup of tea. So then it just became tradition that every Monday night we just had a cup of tea in the buff. <laughs> I'm David Gormley, manager of Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll, uh, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Can you give us those clues again, Paul? Right, so Chelsea beat Everton 2-1 to win the FA Cup. Slumdog Millionaire won the best picture at the Oscars. Ryan Giggs wins BBC Sports Personality of the Year. And Airdrie beat Ross County 3-2 on penalties to win the Scottish Challenge Cup. Gareth said 2011. And Chris, you said 2012 because you were sure because that's when it was your mate's stag do. And it was 2009. No way. Telling you. Oh, what a stag. That was what a stag. You lost four years. <laughs> <laughs> well, aye. Definitely. <laughs> so still two apiece, simple. Two apiece. Chris, uh, Chris, thanks for joining us tonight. Enjoyed the stories. Enjoyed the chat. And all, right. uh, all the best for the winning season when it, when it gets going. Yeah, all the best to yourselves, guys. Thanks very much for having me, Paul. All the best with New Mains. Thanks very much. In touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us. And subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Division.